Hello and welcome to today's VJ Hemonk podcast. We are a global open access multimedia channel that brings you the latest research updates in hematological oncology. Today, we'll be hearing about some of the latest clinical trial data on novel therapies for the treatment of acute myeloid leukemia, as presented by experts at the EHA 2021 meeting. First, we're going to hear from Andrew Brunner of the Massachusetts General Hospital in Boston. Andrew, could you give us an update on the use of sabatolumab for the treatment of AML? Sabatolumab or MBG453 is an anti-TIM3 antibody that um, is being explored in combination with uh, azacitidine or decitabine for the treatment of MDS uh, or AML. It's an interesting molecule. It um, binds to TIM3, which is an immune uh, uh, receptor that is involved both in T-cell recognition of of, uh, potential antigens, as well as uh, maybe apparently expressed on leukemic cells themselves. Um, And sabatolumab, as we're understanding, may have a role both in the immune response to a tumor like acute leukemia or MDS, as well as it may somehow interact with uh, leukemic progenitors to limit um, their self-renewal. Um, and so in this study, um, we have com- uh, combined sabatolumab with azacitidine or decitabine given at standard dosing and at various dose uh, levels. And the current abstract is looking at a subgroup of patients who have either very high risk or high risk MDS or newly diagnosed AML um, who not received hypomethylene agent before and received this combination. Um, they're generally higher risk patients. And one of the things we wanted to look at in this uh, cohort specifically was um, mutation profiles as well as whether there was an impact um, on high risk mutation pr- profiles for the response rate. The Responses have been presented previously. Um, In general, we've seen that there's a a reasonably favorable um, response rate and uh, safety profile um, for these patients. Uh, One of the things that we looked at in this current abstract is the duration of responses. And so the durability of response, one of the mechanisms that we think that TIM3 inhibition might play is um, by prolonging response. If you can engage the immune system to maintain longer uh, responses, then we should see that in uh, more durable responses. And we saw um, a median duration of response of around 21 months in those patients who achieved a complete remission with MDS. Um, And it was actually very similar in the AML group. So of the 25% of patients who achieved a CR, um, the median uh, duration of that response was about 23 months. We are also starting to look at correlatives to understand what um, is uh, mediating this. Um, There is a signal suggesting that IL-1 beta is regulated differently when exposed to um, sabatolumab and whether that plays a role or explains some of the findings that we're seeing um, with possible immune engagement of this compound. Um, Similarly, there's a lot of interest in looking at high uh, risk 
cohorts of patients. Um, there are some groups of MDS and AML for which we really don't have great uh, therapeutic options. TP53 being the most well-known of that group. Um, and so we did look at some of the um, both uh, TB53 mutated patients as well as um, looking at cohorts of patients with uh, ELN high-risk um, disease. The overall response rate seems similar um, in these groups as it did in the overall cohort, suggesting that um, uh, you know even in this group that traditionally has very poor responses and duration of response, perhaps there's something that um, we're seeing with uh, improvement here. Um, and so I think that in general, the data that we're presenting at EHA suggests um, kind of an ongoing reason to explore uh, this combination in high-risk MDS and in uh, AML, particularly AML that has some features of high-risk MDS, so AML that has um, uh, ELN high-risk mutations um, or that's, you know, the so-called oligoblastic AML that has overlapping features with myelodysplastic syndromes. Um, and to see if in subsequent phase two and three studies, if we continue to see these patterns and if sabotolinab has a role in improving uh, the quality of responses, the percentage of patients who achieve a response, and also the duration of response um, to standardized society in the future. Next up is Mark Levis of the Sydney Kimmel Comprehensive Cancer Centre in Baltimore, who will be discussing the two-year follow-up data from the Admiral trial. Here's Mark to tell us more. The reason for doing this follow-up data is when we did the primary analysis, we actually had to censor quite a few patients uh, and we didn't have long-term follow-up. And looking at the survival curves for the ADMIRAL trial, it was perfectly obvious that the study drug, gilteritinib, the FLT3 inhibitor, was clearly superior to salvage chemotherapy for relapsed refractory FLT3-mutated AML. But uh, there was sort of a discouraging, everybody looked like they were eventually potentially going to die because the, the survival curve kept going down. But part of that was uh, really a reflection of censoring. And so by carrying the, the uh, analysis out two years after the primary analysis, you can really start to see were there long-term survivors in patients treated with gilteritinib? And the, the short answer is yes, there were. There was a very reassuring plateau, which is kind of shown in the poster uh, in some of the Kaplan-Meier curves. Um, we're focusing on, I think, 49 patients in the gilteritinib arm and 14 in the arm that was randomized to salvage chemotherapy. This was a collection that was alive two years after randomization. And then we really wanted to show that, look, there is a plateau in survival. It stops going down. They don't all die. They, in fact, it looks like, you know, you can probably say these patients, we all have some of them. They're essentially cured. I've got some that are alive right now uh, and for all intensive purposes are cured. And that's kind of the, the big picture. The other point, uh, another interesting point was this business of taking patients to transplant. I think that's actually shown in figure four of the poster. There was a criticism that uh, from a lot of regulatory agencies that, well, you know, you're just casually transplanting these patients because you can. Your drug didn't really do that. It was the transplant. But in fact, uh, the comparison between the two arms, salvage chemotherapy and gilteritinib, 
if somebody got a response with either of those agents and went to transplant, they did the same. So it wasn't that guiltritinib was disguising patients and we took them to transplant uh, and that was conferring all of the benefit. Uh, so, you know, really it was not a fair criticism to say that guiltritinib was just um, allowing us to uh, mask the benefit with transplant. So again, um, this just is, is kind of cements the, the deal that gilteritinib really was better than salvage chemotherapy. We have good follow-up that shows that benefit persisted. Following that, we're going to hear an update on alutacitinib monotherapy for the treatment of relapsed or refractory AML patients with mutant IDH1. Safan de Botton of the Gustave Roussy Institute in Paris is here to give us an overview. The results we presented are the results of a phase two multicenter international trial uh, evaluating all of the as a single agent in relapsed refractory ML patients. So uh, this is a cohort, the results of cohort one, in which 153 patients with relapsed refractory AML received olutazidinib alone at the dose of 150 milligrams BID over continuous 28-day cycles. And the primary endpost was characterization of CR and CRH. So. Altogether, 123 uh, patients were available for uh, efficacy. 72% uh, have discontinued mainly due to disease progression, roughly one third, uh, few to AEs or death. So uh, as expected, the population um, was mainly represented by de novo AML, roughly two-thirds and one-third of secondary ML, including almost 80% post-MDS. Most had um, intermediate uh, risk cytogenetics uh, and as commutations we saw NPM1 first with DNMT3A uh, and, uh, and other. So overall uh, response were achieved in 46% of uh, these patients, which is fairly high. A composite CR rate, including CR, CRH, CRI of 45%. 33% achieved CR, CRH, and importantly, true CR happened in 30% of the patients. So uh, these results are probably very good, especially the high CR rates in that widely uh, treated population. They received a median of at least two um, lines of treatment. Before uh, discussing uh, optimization, uh, I must insist in the fact that these responses were durable. The responses were sustained for a median of 11.7 months in responders. And remarkably, so the median duration of responses in CR, CRH was not reached. And in a sensitivity analysis with uh, stem cell transplant as the end of, re of a response indicates the median duration of CRCOH to be roughly 14 months. So that's very important. These responses are durable. So this translates into a, a very favorable overall survival with uh, estimated 18 month overall survival of 87% in CRCOH patients, which is fairly high. So. This is uh, interesting because the, the inhibitor seems to be very potent to ensure high response rates and um, durable responses. 
So the combination with Fiveza has already been presented uh, two years ago at ASH in the phase one uh, part of the trial, and it's very well tolerated. We, we haven't seen any addition of toxicity with the inhibitor combined with 5-ASA, so it's, really, it's clearly feasible. In the phase two, there are some arms combining uh, the treatment 5-ASA and olutazidinib, so it's feasible. We are waiting for um, combination with intensive uh, chemotherapy. Uh, it's probably, it's likely that will be the same development as with Ivozidinib. Last but not least, Andreas Zuchenko of the Vilnius University Hospital Santaris Clinical in Lithuania is going to talk us through the findings of a study investigating the use of glastogib in combination with low-dose cytarabine for elderly AML patients. Take it away, Andreas. Basically, uh, glastogib and uh, low-dose cytarabine has been registered like a frontline regimen for for unfit, previously untreated uh, ML patients. Uh, uh, so our work was uh, more regarding the relapsed refractory setting. Uh, the patients, uh, the unfit, frail patients uh, who had previously failed hypomethylating agents. Uh, some of them failed hypomethylating agents plus venetoplax. So basically these patients uh, uh, face a very grim prognosis uh, and uh, the available therapies are, are scars. So we have implemented uh, uh, this glasgow and low-dose RRC regimen in, in this setting. Uh, we had 16 patients uh, uh, who, had who all had previously failed hypomethylators with or without uh, uh, venetoplax. And uh, these were, were old, uh, old patients with a median uh, age of 77 years and a median ECOG uh, performance status of two. Four of those 16 patients had previous venetoplax exposure and, and uh, almost half of them had adverse uh, cytogenetics. So this was a, a difficult group to treat. Uh, nevertheless, uh, uh, we, we managed to achieve uh, some responses and, and uh, the uh, composite remission rate uh, was almost 40%, with uh, five patients out of evaluable 13 have achieved uh, uh, a composite remission, uh, a complete remission or, or, or complete remission without uh, um, platelet recovery. And one patient also achieved a partial remission, so the, the overall response rate was uh, 46%. Uh, this translated in a median overall survival uh, of, uh, of 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 more than of more than six months, which was six and a half months uh, for for this difficult to treat uh, groups uh, group. And of course, uh, the the adverse events were manageable. We have seen only one great uh, free QT prolongation, uh, which did not result in a, a life threatening arrhythmia. And uh, of course, day thirty mortality was twelve percent, mainly related to refractory disease. So I think that um, glasgow and low-dose RRC uh, may be a feasible option for patients, for elderly frail patients who had previously failed hypermethylating agents and even perhaps for those who had failed uh, venetoclax plus hypermethylating agents as their frontline front therapy. Of course, larger studies are, are warranted. Thank you for joining us for today's podcast and thanks to the speakers for sharing their research with us. You can find more updates in the field of acute myeloid leukemia and more at vjhemonk.com. Be sure to subscribe to VJ Hemonk podcasts, which are available on Spotify, Apple and Podbean.